Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Do you desire God? Now, I did not ask you, do you want to be blessed by God? Do you want his help and assistance in your life? Do you want him to rescue you from all your problems? Those things are entirely different. The question that I asked was simply, do you desire God? Meaning this, do you want to experience him in your life? Do you want to get to know him better and better? Do you truly desire to know him for the sake of simply knowing him and experiencing his love in your life? Many people who are believers, they want that help, that assistance, those blessings, that rescue from problems, but they're not all that interested in truly walking with God doing his will, and experiencing him in their life. Take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Psalms and Psalm 42. Now, this psalm is going to teach us many important principles if we're going to live a life of victory. And when I say victory, victory over our enemies, not allowing them to exploit us, defeat us, and cause things in our life that take us away from the things of God. We look here in Psalm 42, and it begins by saying to the chief music director, or the chief musician, however you want to translate that first phrase, and then we see that it is a specific, a unique type of some. Now, there's a few of these, but they're not the most common expression of a psalm. This psalm is called a maskil. What is that? Well, the word sechel comes from a Hebrew word which means intelligence. It has to do with knowledge, being wise in a practical sense. So this psalm is written in a way it reveals principles that's going to make us wise, intelligent, give us knowledge in order that we might live a successful life. But here's what's important. When it says success, it's talking about success from a heavenly perspective, not necessarily how the world defines success, but how God defines success. And that is Overcoming those things, not allowing difficulties and hardships to cause you to turn away from God and to stop worshiping Him. Realize that there is an inherent relationship between worshiping God and living a victorious, successful life. So once more, we read, to the chief musician or the choir director, a maskil. 
this unique type of song. And the author of this, this psalm, it says, by the sons of Korah. Now, there's different views of, of who and why this is a group called the Sons of Korak, but at this time, we're not going to deal with this. Now, what I just read to you in Hebrew is the first verse. As you will know by now, it's known as an inscription. It is information that the author, it's part of the text that the author gives to us in order to understand better the intent, the purpose, and other information that gives us a greater appreciation for the psalm we're about to encounter. Now, when we go to the next verse, which is probably verse 1 in your Bible, it's verse 2 in Hebrew, we come to a very familiar verse of Scripture. And it's familiar because... There's a well-known song that is written from this verse. We read in verse 2 in the Hebrew text, as a deer, and this next word, tarog, is a word of desire. Now, remember how we began this study. Do you desire God? And here we have a word that speaks of an intense desire, a desire that's rooted in a need, a want that is very, very strong. We might even say a, a passion. And the image here is a deer that is desiring, panting for water because of great thirst. So as a deer desires by the brooks of water. So here we have a deer. The context is that he is very thirsty, and he's finally arrived near that brook, those streams of water, whereby his thirst can be quenched. And the context is that we should have such a thirst, a desire, a strong commitment to experience God. This is what's being upheld to the reader, once more, the second verse, as a deer pants by the streams of water, thus, and this is simply the Hebrew word ken, which sometimes means yes, but in this context, it means thusly, in this manner. Yes, this is how, what the psalmist is saying, yes, this is how my soul, and we have that same word, tarog, desires desires you, O oh God. Now, how many of us can really honestly say that we have such a desire for God, that we pant, we long for, we crave, we are passionate simply about being in his presence, experiencing him, coming to a greater and greater knowledge of this God. This is where spirituality really manifests itself. Not when we simply want God's blessings, that we want to be recipients of his promises, that we want his help, his deliverance, his blessings, him to move in our life and do what we want. That's not spirituality. Many of those things are simply rooted 
and the desires of the flesh. It's when we, above all things, desire God, God and God himself. That's when we grow, we mature, and we're brought into a, a spirituality that produces fruit that is pleasing to God. Then we see in, in verse, verse 3, 2 in the other languages, it says, my soul, and we have this same imagery, my soul thus for God, and then we have for the God who is alive, the living God. So make no mistake about it. This psalmist, he is saying how much inwardly, the essence of who he is, how much he desires God, desires the living God. What does that expression mean, the living God? Simply, he wants God to be active in his life, and here's the key, for God's purposes, for God's will. It is not saying, God, look at my life and do the things that, that I want you to do. This is when we are no longer a servant of God, but our, our religion becomes God serving us. We become the chief, and this is not pleasing to him. So this psalmist says, my soul thirsts for God for the living God. And then he asks a question. He says, when will I come and I appear? And then we have expression, pene Elohim, which means simply as we see it here, it has to do with the countenance, the presence of God. And this just underscores what we've said. This psalmist, the sons of Korak, they are saying, above all, they want to be in the presence of God. That is their objective, just to be with him. Not that God has to do something, not that we need something specifically, but we want him, we need him, we desire him, this, this relationship. So he longs, he desires, he wants to come and appear before the presence of God. Verse 4 in the Hebrew text, verse 3 in English. Now, it's no question that, that this psalmist is going through a difficult time. Notice what he says. He, he longs for God, and he's experiencing something. He says, my tears were to me, tears, sorrow, sadness, those things that are uncomfortable, that's what he's experiencing. And he says, my tears were to me, and then he uses the word lechem, which is bread, or can be understood loosely in the concept of food. Meaning food, we talk about the daily bread. And the message here is that this one, over and over, he's experiencing sorrow. He has going on in his life currently a, a matter that is extremely sad to him, one that may be painful, but certainly one that is not pleasant, and therefore he's weeping. And notice how it speaks at the end of this verse where he says, Yomam va Lila. What does that mean? It means 
that day and night, continuously, it is in Hebrew idiom. So this one is weeping. He has tears daily, ongoing, both day and night. There's no release from his, his pain and suffering. And then the second part of the verse says, be amor. Now, many Bibles put this, even though it's in the singular, in the plural. It's a word for speaking, saying something. And it says, they say. But, but literally here, it's simply one who is saying. And it could be simply a, a coming together in this expression of those things that are a source of grief in his life. And they, they cry out, they speak out these things and say unto me, here again, all day, where is your God? Now, this expression, where is your God, is, is seen and understood as mocking this one. This one believes in God. He is a servant of God. He desires to walk with God, experience God, but yet he's going through difficulty, intense difficulty, and this difficulty has been ongoing day and night, no let up, and God seems to be not there, not with him, not moving in his life in any visible way to the extent that, that one around him and perhaps others are saying, where is your God? You have this faith, you believe in him, this, this all-powerful, this loving God, but what is he doing for you presently? Now, learn a principle. I shared with you that this psalm is full of principles that we need to latch on to, hold on to, demonstrate in our life if we're going to live a successful, victorious life, and that is a life that God, he's the judge that God's pleased with. And the principle is this, don't believe lies. They'll say, God's not with you. Where is God? Where's his help? You're alone. You're suffering. You've been in this situation for a long time. Where's God? Realize something. The word of God says, once you enter into a relationship, a covenant with him, and I'm speaking about the new covenant through the gospel, he makes a promise. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So where is God? He is there. Affirm that. God hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. You're not alone. God is there. You are not alone. Now, just because at the current time, and maybe this has gone on for, for a while, maybe a long while, even though you don't sense his presence, he's still, still there. Even though you're not receiving his help, he is a help in a present time right now. We don't know oftentimes what God's up to, but we can be assured that he's up to something and he loves us and he's going to be faithful to that covenant. And if we're not experiencing it, we will. We may not in our senses, in our feelings, in our emotions, we may not know these things, but God is at work. He is going to use this. He has a purpose for 
whatever we are experiencing and realize more than likely if we're experiencing those tears that sorrow that hardship god's not the source of that god the bible says every good gift comes down from heaven god is a giver of good things we may be experiencing the the activity of the enemy here so he says this one who is mocking the the psalmist he says where is your god next verse verse 5 in hebrew 4 and other languages he says these things now he's going to do something he is going to put the situation he's going to name it meaning this he is going to identify what's going on in his life bring these things before god he says these things next phrase i will remember note what you're going through because god he is going to deliver you. If not today, tomorrow, if not tomorrow, next week or next month. But that deliverance, that victory is coming. Think of it this way. As a believer, a child of God in a covenantal relationship with him through the blood of Messiah, by faith, we know something. Time is on our side. Never forget that. It is just a matter of time before you experience God's deliverance, God's victory in your life. Now, sometimes that victory is experienced here, now, in this world. You go through something, and God brings you through. And in the end, you overcome. Those sorrows, those hardships, those trials, all are behind you. There's a new chapter in your life. Other times, that victory is not seen in this age, but rather in the life to come, after death. That's okay. Why? Because then that's going to be the eternal state. That victory is going to define you forever and ever and ever. What we experience in this world, whether bad or good, is only temporary. It is going to pass away. All things of this world pass away. It's only those things that are connected to the kingdom that have endurance, and you can look at it as that being eternal. Anything else, there's going to be a change. So when you're going through difficulties, when you are under attack, realize it is going to come to an end. There is going to be a deliverance. God will bring it about. Time is on your side. So he says, these things I will remember. And how is he going to remember them? Well, the next part of the verse speaks about prayer. He says, I will pour concerning myself, my soul, meaning this. I'm going to pour out my soul concerning myself meaning my current situation i'm going to name these things i'm going to share with you god what i'm experiencing these hardships these trials these sorrows these things that caused me to have tears day in and day out i'm going to share them with you and how is he going to do that he says 
I'm going to pour out my soul concerning me, concerning my situation. This is a wise thing to do. Pray about them. Because praying, see, it's not you making them known to God. God knows these things. But, but you need to see clearly what you're going through. And oftentimes it's through prayer when we name these things that we're identifying them. And then we can appreciate when God goes to work, when God delivers, when God moves at that proper time, it's always, he's always functioning at the proper time. If God's allowing us to go through these difficulties, those things that are, are not pleasant in our life, there's a purpose for it. If he didn't cause it, he's allowing it, and he's allowing it for a reason. And we need to take an inventory, because when God moves, we'll appreciate this deliverance, what he has done, the changes that he's brought. So he says, I pour out my soul concerning myself, this current situation. He goes on to say, for, and this is big, he says, for I will pass, and the impl implication is, I will pass through these things. He's right. He's confident of that. You will pass through. So when you make that inventory of the hardships, your struggles, what you're going through that are so, so unpleasant for you, realize something. With time, as an outcome of God's activity in your life, you will pass through them. And notice something else. He just doesn't say that. He says, key, a for I will pass. And then we have the term basak. Now, basak, most of the rabbinical commentators say that this has to do with a covering. When you look, they'll put the word to help us understand this word basak. They'll have the word mixe, which is a lid, a covering. It is a degree of protection. Realize you're going through difficult times. You're being attacked. There is a covering. So I will pass through, and he says, with a covering, there's going to be shelter. God's going to, to allow you to move forward. But here's the question you have to ask. Are you going in the right direction? Now, someone might say, how do I know that I'm moving in the right direction? Well, this part, this next part of the verse is most informative. It says, e dadem, what's that? Well, this word speaks when it's not a verb, but a noun. It could be speaking about a no man, someone who, who just wanders about. Now, this is not in this context, wandering about aimlessly, just going to here or there, just trying to get away from your current situation. This is not what this word speaks to. It speaks, in fact, once again, if you look at the rabbinical commentators, they will say that this has to do with moving slowly. And sometimes slowly has to do with cautiously, moving in a very, very cognitive, in a very thoughtful manner, not haphazardly. 
with a destination in mind. And what is that destination? He says, I will, will go, I will move unto, here's the direction, Bet Elohim, that is an expression for the house of God, the temple. And what should come into our mind? Worship. Now, here's the second principle. Not only are we to understand that God, he is with us, he'll never leave us nor forsake us, nor are we supposed to forget that God, that God says time is on our side because the closer we move to the end, the better it's going to be for us, meaning this. The end in wells. What does the scripture say? He who endures and perseveres to the end says we'll be saved, and this is a word of victory. We'll experience deliverance. It's not saying that this deliverance comes from this, this perseverance and endurance. It's simply saying at the end, there's victory for us. That's why time's on our side. But he says that, that I will move slowly. I will move cautiously. I will move in a specific direction, and that is to the house of God. And it's all an idiom that refers to prayer and worship. That's what one does at the house of God. He worships. So learn this. Here's the principle. I'm going through difficulty. Worship God. Do not allow it. Here's the battle. Everything that, that Satan is doing, the enemy is doing in your life, these hardships, these difficulties, these unpleasant experiences that you're having, all of that has one primary purpose from the enemy's standpoint. And what is that? To keep you from worshiping God. Victory is this. Success is this. No matter what I'm experiencing, no matter what's going on in my life, I do not cease to worship God. And learn this. These things that I'm experiencing, hardship, trial, sorrow, tears, whatever it might be, those things don't change God. They don't alter him. They don't bring anything to cause him to be different because of that. God is eternal. He does not change. What does that mean? What's the implication for that is, is he worthy of worship? Yes, he is. When? Always. Why? Because who he is. Can anything change him? No. So he's always, always, always worthy of worship. And I would say this from my own experience. You're going through a difficult time. Worship God. And it's this worship of God. And here's the key. Desiring him not allowing these things to take you away from worshiping God, not allowing these things to, to become the focus of your life. If you always walk in a direction of God, wanting to experience him, knowledge of God, wanting to have that more and more in your life, you're going to find that the enemy is defeated his attempts, they will fall short. They will not last as long. They will not bring about the damage because worship is the spirit of overcoming.
When we worship God, we are overcoming. So he says here that he is going to pour out his, his spirit, that he is going to, to pass on, that there's a covering over him, and that he is going to consistently and, and with, with aim, with intent, that he is going to draw near to the house of God. He goes on to say, and what's he going to do there? Notice it says, toda, which means with a voice or a sound of, of joy. Rina is a shout of joy. And one of the characteristics of this world, word is that it's a public shout. It's not so all personal, but it's a private. Rather, it's not a private, it is a public expression of, of shouting for joy. And notice what he says, thanksgiving. Now, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense to me. Because I'm suffering, I'm in the midst of difficulty, I'm in pain, sorrow, all of this. And what am I called to do? Shout with joy and give thanks to God? Absolutely. Because regardless of my current situation, I know something. It is not going to define me, and it's not going to, to be my eternal state. These things will, what does he say earlier? I will pass through. He knows that they're coming to an end. And therefore, in the midst of them, he's just waiting confidently, giving thanks to God, praising him, shouting for joy. And notice what it says. Hamon. It says, Harmon, Hamon, Chogeg. What is that? With much celebration. Now, this word, Chogeg, comes from the word Chag, which is a festival day. Now, some interpret it more in the light of going up for one of these three pilgrim festivals, but it just is a word of celebration. He says three things. I'm going to, to shout for joy. I'm going to give thanks, and I'm going to celebrate. And here's what I like. We see in this passage that there is a linking between worshiping God and celebration. Worship celebrates God, celebrates his promises, what God has said he's going to do, and it's celebrating with faith that we believe he's going to do that. It's just a matter of what? It's just a matter of time. So with much celebration. Verse 6 in Hebrew, verse 5 in, in other languages, he says here, actually verse, yes, verse 6 in Hebrew where he says, what or how? Now, he's going back to his present situation, what he's experiencing, and this word is going to appear three times, sometimes in the exact form, one time somewhat different, but he says here, why have you, my soul, brought down? So he's acknowledging that he is, is being beaten up in this world, that, that God has allowed his countenance, his soul, his, his emotion to be brought down. So he says, why? 
For what purpose? How did this happen that my soul was brought down? And then he says, and you have brought much, and this is a word for noise or, or disturbance unto me. So spiritually, he's at a low, low point. When you just look at his life, he has been brought down. He's at a low point. There's much disturbance that he is experiencing. But notice the second part of this verse. Despite this, what do we do? How do we respond? Well, he says, hope for God, for all the more, this word od, or still, despite these things, he says, hope for God, for still I will give thanks to him. So nothing's changing. And this word for giving thanks is acknowledging God. What does that mean? God, I, I am going to make mention of your presence in my life. I'm going to affirm you promised never to leave me nor forsake me that you are not going to allow me to be in a situation that's beyond me. With your anointing, with your presence, we can overcome it. I know that there are promises, good promises, that you have promised to bless me, that you have said that you will deliver me, that you are my Savior, both for the kingdom of God, but also that you're going to work in my life in the midst of these things. So even though on one hand, his soul has been brought down, that there is much noise, disturbance in his life, he affirms that he has hope in God and that he's going to give thanks. And notice what he says. This giving thanks for why? He says, Yeshuot Panaf. Now, Yeshuot comes from the same Hebrew word as Yeshua, Jesus. It means salvation. But here's what I like about the word Yeshuot. It's, it's not the word Yeshua, but Yeshua. What's the difference? Well, we have the name Yeshua. Then we have the term Yeshua. Sounds similar, but the accent is on the difference, and there's an additional letter. And this is the word salvation, but it's in the plural Yeshua. And it's speaking, when it appears in the plural, it's speaking about abundant salvation. And what does he link with this abundant salvation? Well, we see it here. Look again. He writes simply, Yeshua Panav, and that is the abundant salvation that is found in his presence. The term Panav, meaning his face or presence, his countenance. It simply affirms what we said earlier. This one understands that salvation is simply being with God. And because we are in a covenantal relationship with him through the work, that all-sufficient work of Messiah on that tree, the shedding of his blood, because of that, we can have assurance that, that we are in the presence of God that he is never going to leave us, as it says in the Gospel of John, that he has us in the palm of his hand, and no one, no one, no thing, will ever be able to pluck us out. So it doesn't matter what you are experiencing, what you're feeling, 
what your emotions are telling you, what your mind is, is saying to yourself. All those things are the battleground of the enemy. Satan loves the emotion. He loves the, the feelings. He's a master over that. Do not be enslaved to your feelings, what you're thinking, but rather meditate upon the truth of God. And this one understands salvation. This abundant salvation is found in him, found in his presence. Verse, verse 7 in the Hebrew text, verse 6 in others, he says, My God, my soul, it says, has been brought down, that same expression, brought down unto me. It's simply emphasizing this, this spiritual from a physical observation, from how he's feeling. He has been brought down. His soul is very, very low, his, his emotion. So he writes, my God, concerning me, my soul has been brought down. Therefore, now I love this because what he's doing in this psalm is teaching us. What do we do at those times? Now, it doesn't matter who you are. You know, the more we, we travel, we find that people, although they may have some cultural differences, they may speak a language that's different, they might look different, the shape of their face, the color of their skin, but, but the more you get to know different people, you'll find that, that we're all very, very similar. We are much more similar than, than diversity. Is there diversity? Yes, there is in the external. But when you go deeper inward, you find that we're so, so similar. And he says here, when we are going through this time, what are we called to do? He says, therefore, I will remember. And he says, I will make mention. I will remember you from the land of Jordan, also from the Hermonim. This is the mountains of Hermon. Realize that Mount Hermon has several peaks. There's several mountains, and this term brings it out. And then he says, from, from Har Mitzar. Now, Hermon, the Jordan, all those things were, were part of Israel, the children of Israel experience. But here we have something that it only appears in this verse. Here we have Har Mitzar. What happened there? We don't know. But here's what's important. In the same way there was that great crossing of the Jordan River, in the same way that Mount Hermon is where God commanded blessing for his people, read Psalm 133. These things are known. But, but har mitzar, we don't know what happened there. It's probably what the scholars say. It's probably something that, that took place personally in his life. Not among all the children of Israel. It's not known this place. Never mentioned, only here in the scripture. And you're going to have your own personal testimony, your own har mitzar. Now, the word mitzar comes from a word that, that can mean 
that which seems small, insignificant. And from a worldly standpoint, they may not see anything big about this. But, but for you, it is huge. It's at that same level personally as crossing the Jordan River, this, this place where God, Mount Hermon, that he commanded blessing for his people, big times. Well, we can have these personal times of deliverance. So think, what about yourself? What are those times in your life when God moved in an undeniable way that brought you through that, that delivered you, that experienced that you experience his, his power in your life. Remember that. Verse 8. Now, in verse 8, we're speaking about, once again, imagery that speaks of his suffering, his hardships. It speaks here, the word is tahom, which is the deep. And it's usually, it can be translated deep as deep waters, but it can also be thought of as the abyss. And the abyss, that term usually implies being deep in trouble. You, you have, have hardship that just 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 overwhelming. You're at the bottom of the hole looking up, and it's hard to, to see how you're going to crawl out of this place. So he says, and he's telling something, from abyss to abyss, I cry out. That's been his, his experience. He says, for the, the sound of, and he uses the term sinor, it's in the plural, these pipes. Now, what is this speaking of? Well, in this context, it's speaking about being in an abyss, but in a very narrow one. Feeling the, the stress, the anxiety, the pressure. When we are recording this, we are in a time known as Ben HaMitzarim. Ben HaMitzarim is taken from the book of Echal, the book of Lamentation, speaking about being pressed between two sides. And this is what this is speaking about here. He's in the, the abyss. He feels pressure on both sides. And he gives another example. All the, and this is the word breakers, like the waves, all your breakers and your waves are upon me, they pass. So here he is. It's very similar to one being in a, a pit, no way to climb up. That pit seems to be closing in on you. And then there's that waves. Waves just keep pouring over, breaking against you over and over and over. This is his experience. This is what he feels like. And therefore he says, look now to the next verse, verse 9 in Hebrew, 8 and others. It says, daily the Lord, he will command his grace. Now this tells us what God's doing. When we think God, he's abandoned me, I'm alone in this, that I'm in this abyss, I have no hope. These things are just pouring over me again and again and again and again, and there seems no relief. Relief. What happens? Realize something. God, in the midst of this, 
It says, and it begins with the term Yomam, this is daily, ongoing. The Lord, he commands his grace. And in the night, a song, a song is with me. Now, what I like is this, that God, God is with him, and there's a song that's there, meaning this. God is going to, in the midst of, and think of the imagery, the, the, the thing that's being described, in this abyss, closing in on him, waves going over, he seems hopeless, but God's going to command grace, and there's going to be a song with him. Now, again, this is Hebrew poetry. What does that tell us? Parallelism. And what's parallel in this passage to his grace? Well, it's this song, his song that is with us. Grace leads us to be able to worship God. You say, well, grace saves. Yes, it does. And that salvation experience should produce worship, ongoing daily worship despite our situation. That's why he says, the prayer, a prayer to God, who is my life. God is my life. This is what he's saying. A prayer to God who is my life. These circumstances don't define me. Where I am, what am I experiencing, that's not who I am. That just is where I am currently. It's not where I will be eternally. God is my life. That's what he's saying here. And when you realize that, just as someone is passionate, they have that 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 drive to survive and not die. We should have that same drive to experience God, to desire God. This is what he's saying. Look now at, at verse 10, verse 9, and others. He says, I will say to God, my rock. Now, when you are in a covenantal relationship with God, God is the foundation. He's the rock. He is that stable, stabilizing force in whatever you are experiencing. He says again, why, and it's this third time, why have you, you brought me down? Why, next word koder, is a word for, for gloom, darkness. Some translate it as even mourning. So he says, God, you're my life. I affirm you as this. My hope is in you. You are not going to leave me or abandon me. But nevertheless, he says, why have you brought me down? Why is gloom that I go and in, in the stress, the pressure of the enemy? He says, why am I in this? Why, look at the next verse, it's the word Be-Ritzach, what is that? With murder. Now, he's experiencing those things that, that take his life, he speaks about the, the, some would say, the breaking, the killing of his bones. He says, my bones, the very, the very stability of his life, those things, they gave his life stability. They're all being broken. They're being brought to nothing. He says, they have shamed me. Who's they? 
my enemies. They put shame, contempt, disgrace upon him. Now, what I like about this psalm is that we see it going back and forth between him saying about his current situation, how bad, and it is bad. But yet, he goes from that to worshiping God, thanking God, shouting for joy, and affirming God in his life, and worshiping God, pursuing God in the midst of this. So he says, my enemies... They, they, they reproach me when they say unto me all day, all day long, and here it is, where, second time, where is your God? Now, these enemies, they, they don't believe in God, and they want to bring discouragement. Most of the time, people, the vast majority, when you're going through a hardship, a trial, this time of testing, whatever it may be, most people will influence you in a negative way. But when you find a, a brother, a sister in the Lord, truly someone who will pray with you and for you, that will be there to, to minister unto you, how special that is. The vast majority of the people when they see these things, they're going to question God. Don't question God. Don't say, where are you in this? Why did this happen? Why me, oh God? Where were you? God is with us in the midst of these things to bring us through. So it's the enemy all day long saying, where is God? Now we have again that same expression. Why? And the implication is, why, oh God? Why, my soul, have you brought down? Why is there such a disturbance, this noise, unto me? This is the third time he said this, and he's going to respond as we conclude this verse in the same way, where he says, hope for God. Now, what does it mean to hope for God? It means to assemble all of those promises. When, when people are saying, where is God? God may not be visible in that situation. He's there. Remember what we learned, time is on our side. God, what we need to do is bring all of his promises. And that's what hope is. Hope is resting, believing, knowing that his promises are coming. So he says, hope for the Lord, for he says, still, or all the more so, I will acknowledge him. I will acknowledge, I will give thanks to God. Why? Well, he ends in this same way that we've seen before, but a slight difference. That same word, Yeshua, abundant salvation. He says, my face and my God. Now, when we look at this, it's hard to, to translate but he uses the term panai, my presence and my God. What's he doing? He's saying what God is up to. My presence, panai, and my God. What he's saying here is this. They become one. Who I am, I am now in the presence. My presence is with God, my God. These things 
had brought us into a oneness with God. Why, God, have you allowed this? Why, God, has this happened to me? Very simple. Because God wanted to bring you close unto him. He wanted your presence to be with him. This is the benefit about going through these times. When we go through them and we feel, God, I'm so alone. I feel as though you abandoned me. If you just follow these principles, what this psalmist says to us, God, you haven't left me nor forsake me. God, I'm not going to believe my emotions. I'm not going to, to base theological truth on my feelings, on my, my fleshly, my external experiences. Rather, I'm going to have hope. I'm going to claim the promises of God. I am going to give thanks to you. I am going to shout publicly with joy for you. I am going to pray to you. I am going to move to a spirit of worship. And all of this will do what? It will solidify our intimacy with God. These things, when we are on the other side of them, you will experience, you will come to the realization that these hard times were some of the best times for you to get to know God, worshiping Him, experiencing Him in the midst of it. Sometimes you feel as though God's distant, but when you look back on that, you know you have come to the conclusion He was there all the time. What a wonderful psalm teaching us principles, principles to live by in the midst of hardships and difficulties. Don't be in bondage to your emotions, your feelings, but rather claim the promises of God. Remain hopeful and remain worshipful. This is going to bring about an unbelievable intimacy, a closeness. It is going to fulfill a true desire for God. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank you.